The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is men as family caregivers. Now, of course, family caregiving involves grandmothers, mothers, daughters, sisters, and young female children. But we're hearing more and more about grandfathers, fathers, sons, brothers, and even young male children in the role of family caregivers. So, these male family caregivers, who are they, what do they do, and what are the challenges they face? To discuss these and more questions, we have two guests, Dr. Jim Gamboni and Bob Smith. Now, Dr. Jim Gamboni is a leading authority on generational and intergenerational relationships. His books and articles and keynote addresses are currently used by business, community, and faith leaders to help them understand differences between generations and then go beyond that to help generations work more productively together. His newest publication is Who Says Men Don't Care? A Man's Guide to Balanced and Guilt-Free Caregiving. It's aimed at the 22 million male family caregivers in the U.S. Besides being a leader in the intergenerational field, Jim is also an award-winning film and television writer, producer, and director. His latest film, The Journey Home, deals with the future of elder care in the U.S., Bob is a firefighter who retired from the Mississauga, Ontario, Canada Fire Department in 1996. After several months of retirement, he decided to re-enter the workforce. It gave his wife some space, which he says is necessary after retirement. For about 10 years, he worked as a driver for the Toronto Auto Auction in Milton, Ontario. His wife, Joan, and he were childhood sweethearts who married in 1956. They are the proud parents of three lovely daughters and seven terrific grandchildren. In about 2004, Joan was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. As time progressed, she became less and less able to care for herself. So for the last few years, Bob's been her full-time family caregiver. 
So welcome to the show, Jim and Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Gordon. Happy to be here. Great. Now, I'm going to start with you, Jim, first, please. Okay. Please tell us more about your work and the reasons for your interest in family caregiving. This work came out of uh, a couple of sources. One, I've been working in the field of aging, as you mentioned, on generational and intergenerational relationships for about 19 years now. But recently, I've been teaching in the Graduate School of Gerontology at Capella University, and one of my students wrote me a response to a question about caregiving, indicating that 40% of the caregivers in the United States were men, and I literally didn't believe her. So I asked her to go back and really show me the data. It turns out that she and her husband, and her name is Rhonda Travlin, and she is my co-writer of this book. She and her husband have been running a caregiving survival institute in Spring Hill, Florida, for the past 17 years. And uh, I told Rhonda that when the class was over, I wanted to talk with her about this. In the meantime, I went and looked for resources. I searched, and I'm a pretty good researcher, and after an extensive amount of research, I found nothing that was directed exclusively and explicitly at male caregivers. There's a lot of incredibly good caregiving materials out there. But I think men are different, and I know men are different from women, and I also know men are different in many other ways uh, amongst themselves. And so I thought at least if there are that many men who are caregivers, there should be resources directed at them, and their profiles needed to be lifted because I obviously didn't know that. So that's where the book came from. And the book was just finished about a month ago, and it's out right now. But uh, that's the that it came came out of that class, and it came out of working with Rhonda Traveland over the last year and a half. Okay. Bob, please tell us more about your work and life before you became a full-time caregiver for Joan, your wife. And also, did your parents or other relatives have family caregiving experience that influenced you? Bob? Yeah, at, uh, at, at one point, John's uh, father, unfortunately, uh, had Alzheimer's, but it was only for a, a very short period of time. Uh, uh, he had a uh, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Uh, went into the hospital with a stroke. Was there a short time, and from there into long-term care for a very short time, and then passed away. Unfortunately, uh, we never gained much information as far as Alzheimer's and caregiving. Uh, until Joan was diagnosed, uh, it became a, a learning experience for us. And uh, as time passed, we, we learned more and more about uh, being a caregiver. What was it that um, you really experienced when you first became aware that things weren't as they should have been with Joan? No, experience-wise, uh, unfortunately, we're, we didn't have much experience. Uh, uh, as things progressed, uh, uh, we felt challenged and then realized, uh, you know, uh, we've got to do something here because uh, we need more information. We need to learn more and, uh, and, and learning how to cope with this disease. And as time went on, uh, yeah, uh, we ended up uh, gaining a lot of useful information in order to help us support Joan and uh, and make you know things easier for ourselves and of course uh, better for Joan. Right. 
Jim, to you, more about your book, um, mm-hmm. Who Says Men Don't Care. Uh, you've explained some of why you wrote it, but what else drove you to write it, and what was, what, what was it that you had in mind when you were writing it? I, there's a couple of personal reasons, too. I was a primary caregiver with my mother from my grandmother when I was a young man, and my grandmother lived in our home. She also had dementia or Alzheimer's, but at that time, they didn't know what it was. They didn't have a name for it, so they basically called it senility. And uh, But I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and my mother, and I'm sure that even at a subconscious level was working pretty hard for me. But I also... In addition to teaching, I also have two very dear male friends who, whose wives both were diagnosed with ovarian cancer, different than Alzheimer's, but a real, a, a real shock. For both. And they were both friends of our families. Our families were both friends. And my role in that situation for months was to be the principal support person for the man in, in, that, in both situations. And, and that was a profound experience for me, and I relate some of that in the in the in the book and some of the stories. But it uh, it was that, and also realizing that when I started writing this book and thinking about the book, I went to a number of caregiving conferences, knowing that 40 percent of 62 million informal caregivers in the United States are said to be men, and yet I didn't see very many men at the caregiving conferences. I talked to people who ran support groups. Men don't go to support groups and and so it, uh, it, it 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 occurred to me as both an activist as well as an educator that we needed to raise the profile of men we needed to there were probably a lot of men out there that uh, that aren't connected to the traditional resources Bob was indicating you know how he had to go and, and try to find information and that type of thing I, I don't think Bob but I don't think Bob's story is really atypical at all, in spite of the wealth of information that's available. So the, one of the principal reasons for writing the book was simply because nothing else existed for men. And so I thought writing something, getting something out there, and if I'm successful, and thanks to you and other people that are helping to promote and, and make people aware of the guide, that at least men will have something that they can turn to, and it will stimulate other writers and other researchers to be doing more research. Uh, when I looked at the research on men, the, 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 the most of the research I found was related to Alzheimer's, and dementia, people like Bob, but even a little bit older than Bob when, when they were doing this. And the research was, was, was horrible. I mean, from a research point of view, there wasn't very much research at all done on men. So um, this is mainly to promote, I think, an awareness. And I, I also think as we get into talking about the book a little bit, you'll see that there's a lot of, uh, there's some content in the book that I think would be helpful to men if, if they choose to pick up the book and read it. So those are some of the okay. other reasons. Yeah. Great. Bob, um, what was the moment that, do you recall the moment when you first realized that you were going to be the family caregiver for Joan? Can you recall that moment? And where did you first go for help? Well, at first it wasn't uh, a serious problem. Uh, Of course, I uh, hadn't pictured my retirement uh, looking after my wife as, uh, you know, with Alzheimer's, uh, at first it started off with a, a slight memory loss, but as time went on, it uh, it got worse and worse and worse, and until it came to a simple tasks like uh, pouring a cup of coffee, and uh, that that made me angry, you know. 
uh, uh, I worked hard all my life, and I want to enjoy myself and my wife. But unfortunately, uh, with Alzheimer's, that's you know kind of taken that away. But uh, with the help of my family and uh, and friends, we're coping uh, quite nicely. So basically, what happened was, if I've understood you right, Bob, this awareness grew fairly slowly. You realized that something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, you realized something had to be done. And you learned, and your family really began to work with you in addressing these challenges yeah. that were becoming more serious. Yeah. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, I'd like to also add, uh, I have a very dear friend uh, uh, his name is Joe Thompson. His wife, of course, is having the same fate as Joan. Uh, he's been extremely helpful to me. Uh, uh, he introduced me to the support group, and from the uh, support group, uh, I met people that uh, introduced us to uh, the programs at Sheridan College, uh, it's for challenged seniors, by, uh, provided by Acclaim Health, and uh, there's many seminars we attended, and, uh, you know, uh, some of the people have been so great. Uh, if you don't mind, I would like to be special mention of... Uh, okay, Bob, I'm just going to stop you there because we have to pay the rent and go into a break, but I will okay. give you an opportunity to make these uh, acknowledgements uh, in, the, in the next segment. Okay, so, that's great. Okay, there you go. So, we, as I say, we have to pay the rent, so we will right. take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are the... Dr. Jim Gamboni and Bob Smith, you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're definitely coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. 
Two views. Different topics. Questions. Answers. News. And advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Jim Gamboni and Bob Smith. Our topic is men as family caregivers. So let's talk about men as family caregivers and the way they approach and get help with family caregiving. Now, Jim, what do we know about men as caregivers? Who are they? We've already been talking numbers, but please tell us how many of them there really are, in your, according to your research, and how is our picture of these, these men changing? Uh, we actually, in, in our website, maleguideforcaregiving.com, there's a nice profile of the, ma- of the male family caregiver. Uh, and for the most part, a good amount of male caregivers are working. Uh, the average, they're, they're basically, the average income is about twenty-two or fifteen dollars to $22,000 a year. They span across four different generations, uh, ranging from people caregiving in their 80s and 90s to people caregiving in their 20s and 30s. And, uh, and they're doing a lot of different kinds of care. We're talking about men who are caring for their children. We're talking about husbands caring for their wives. We're talking about gay couples caring, men's, men's caring for their partners. We're talking about parents caring for the males caring for the parents, and so there's a lot of different kinds of caregivers. Um, They spend a lot of time caregiving each week, and that time tends to obviously increase and get much more complex when you're dealing with chronic care, like something like Alzheimer's or something that's lasting for a long time versus acute caregiving, but that time will increase. Caregivers in the United States and in Canada save the country billions of dollars every year, billions of dollars every year because of the work that they do. In the United States, for example, the average male caregiver spends about $6,500 out of pocket every year helping the person they're caring for. And that's a tremendous savings to the government, and yet the recognition and the, uh, and the value of caregiving is, is little recognized either amongst women or amongst men, except in caregiving circles. So uh, that's a good picture. In the United States, it's estimated that there are between 22 and 25 million male caregivers in Canada. I think the latest statistic I saw was somewhere between the area of 8 
the 9 million caregivers in Canada. And so the, the numbers are hard to come by because, again, there's been so little research done on the male caregiver. There's been so little academic research done, and it's been limited when it has been done to certain illnesses where there's money for research like Alzheimer's. And so right. uh, that's, that's a pretty good picture, I think, of the male caregiver. Good. Bob, I interrupted you before the break. You were about to tell us about the organizations and people from whom you received help in yeah. your family caregiving. Please tell us about them. Yeah, I would really, really like to uh, uh, make mention of uh, uh, Sandy, Renita, and Rhonda from Acclaim Health, uh, who helped me tremendously. Uh, they've introduced us to different seminars for caregivers. Uh, uh, they've been a wealth of information, and and and, and about life's daily challenges as a caregiver. Uh, it's uh, it's been a, a tremendous boost. I don't know if everybody enjoys this luxury, but to me, it's been. Uh, uh, it's been a tremendous boost, you know. It's helped me, helped me so much, and I encourage every caregiver to take advantage of any support group. Yeah, I'm still with you on this particular question, Bob. You've um, been through an experience. Um, how would you say that your approach to family caregiving has changed? You know, with the help of the people you, who you've just mentioned and your family, how has your approach to it changed? Well, um, uh, I guess my approach to family caring has changed dramatically as as the disease disease progresses. Uh, there's new challenges and and some things you learn uh, as you go, like raising children. It's it's not easy, and and patience I find is a is a key. We at first managed quite successfully, but our knowledge of the disease was well very very limited. So eventually, we realized we needed more help, more knowledge, and if we're going to be able to success, successfully tackle life's daily problems uh, of being a family caregiver, uh, we had to you know to gain more knowledge, and and, and that's what uh, we've been doing. And I I, I know it's uh, challenging and frustrating and. Uh, but as I say, with with the help that we have, I, uh, you know, it's been, you know, it makes my life so much easier, and I, uh, I I appreciate all the help that's out there. It's available. Some you have to pay for, and some is free. But anyways, it's it's there if you want to seek it. You know, right, Jim. Um, Bob has been talking about his perspective. Let me put a broader question to you that comes from that. How do men differ from women in their approaches to family caregiving? Or should I have asked, do they differ? And if so, how do they differ? I, I believe they do differ. And Bob, I think, will be able to add even more to this answer because he's directly and intimately involved with this right now. What, what, what I have found, both in research as well as talking in my own personal experience with men who care, is that men like to manage um, and, and like to think of themselves, I think, oftentimes in these situations as managers. I don't think women think of themselves quite in the same way. I think that uh, 
men are also more results-oriented than women, and women tend to be more interested in process and, uh, and in value process, and men, I think, for the most part, value results. I think sometimes men can tend to be more abrupt and less overtly emotional. I think that it's a mistake to think that men are not emotional, uh, even though they don't show it, because sometimes men, uh, because of the way that we're raised and we're taught, we're oftentimes not, uh, not given permission to show our emotions, and sometimes those emotions tend to well up. One of the things we talk about in our book is feeling more comfortable with your, you know, being able to express your emo- emotions. And I think that um, men tend to... Uh, to want to, uh, you know, they don't, they're, sometimes we don't ask for directions, you know, I and mean, women always criticize us for that. And sometimes I think that's a very valid criticism. And, and, we, and, and I'm real happy to hear Bob's story because Bob's just telling, you know, telling the story will give other men the permission to say, I need to go to a support group. I need to ask for help. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't become less of a man or less manly because I'm asking for help. And, uh, and so, so sometimes men tend to, to get very, feel very alone and, uh, and very isolated. Uh, and, and women, vow, women have uh, the ability, I think, of networking better and finding the ability to network. And, and those are all things that men can do to help improve their caregiving skills when they find themselves in these situations. And for a lot of men, economically, there is not an alternative. That's the other thing. Men don't have a choice as to whether they're going to caregive. Many men don't have a choice as to whether they're going to be caregivers or not. That's just something that they end up doing. Right. Bob, um, Jim was just talking about support groups. Have you any experience of support groups? If so, what is it, and what's your recommendation about it? Uh, support groups, yes. I, uh, I attend a uh, support group. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, it meets twice a month. Uh, sometimes you go, and some of these old girls... Uh, like to talk about their holidays and their husbands and that kind of thing, but uh, most of the time there's some. That's very informative, and and there we have people coming to these support groups that have lost their spouses but still attend because they feel uh, that they can contribute uh, to somebody's problems. It's stuff that they've experienced and uh, uh, they you know they just like to help they're giving back is that right is that what I think yeah now just say a little we're going to be cut off again for the for the uh, break Bob you 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 get used to this in the end me cutting you off but nevertheless I'd like to hear you just tell us a a little, in a little more detail about the help you've needed and still need in looking after Joan. What are the types of help you need? Oh, great, great. Types of help, Bob. Sorry? The types of help that you've needed during your family caregiving and still need. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, my biggest problem is bathing. Uh, uh, Joan uh, will not accept my help in bathing, which she, she she needs help. But I have three lovely daughters. Uh, give me. Uh, they've, they've set up a schedule, and uh, that 
that's taken care of. But uh, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you carry on. Carry uh, on. Uh, uh, I need some time to myself and uh, and uh, and not have to worry about uh, you know caregiving and and what have you. So uh, I like to go you know once in a while for coffee with a friend or or talk to another adult and uh, and that's where the day program at Sheridan College through Acclaim Health comes in uh, uh, she goes from 9 to 3 3 days a week uh, they provide a, a structured program which simulates her and allows her to interact with a, a variety of people which she, I don't know, she seems to really enjoy it so it gives me a, a, a great break from you know, every, you know, 3 times a week we also have a uh, uh, a friend who comes in, her name's Irene, and she uh, works for a nurse next door, and she takes her out uh, twice a week for a walk and spends time socializing with her, and uh, they are gone for approximately uh, three weeks. They walk and talk and enjoy the outdoors, outdoors when weather permits, and, uh, you know, but she seems to, to really enjoy it. She also... Uh, uh, and this is not for her. It's uh, it's basically for me. It's uh, it's called respite. It's uh, it's at Nora's house. It's uh, provided by the Alzheimer's Society, and it's a facility where Joan can go for anywhere from one day to to two weeks, and uh, she seems to really also enjoy that. And that gives me four days. Uh, to really, you know, do what I want to do, and uh, I have to also say the the Legion uh, were members, and on a regular basis uh, we go down there, and, and and people are so only willing to willing to help. So we really appreciate the help, and it well it works out great for us. Right now. I'm going to have to stop you there, um, and because it is time for the break, which yes. we're going to take now. And so this is Dr. Gordon Adam, and I guess are Dr. Jim Gamboni and Bob Smith. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to Tom Says for practical solutions that you can use in your life. Whether it's information you can use for business, spiritual awareness, health, or personal issues, you'll want to listen to this life-changing program hosted by Tom Gerbic. Tom will also invite you to participate by calling in or sending emails. There's no topic that's taboo. With Tom's life experiences, you'll find that a weekly visit can be truly inspiring. Tom Says can be heard on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, with a weekly rebroadcast on the Voice America Business Channel. Who or what fills you up? How do you talk to yourself about yourself? Do you feel like your life isn't where you want it to be? that you are underappreciated, or that your relationships leave you wanting? Tune in every week as Dr. Debbie gives you something to think about, a reality check that will allow you to take charge of what goes on in your life. Your life is happening now. Don't waste another minute. 
Tune in Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and listen to It's About You with Dr. Debbie. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you know i need someone you are listening to family caregivers unite with dr gordon atherley if you have any questions or comments about our program please address them by email to doc g at mymonami.com that's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. Um, I'm Dr. Jim Gamboni and Bob Smith. Our topic is men as family caregivers. So let's now talk about the ways in which men figure out their roles as family caregivers. So, Jim, in your book, you offer men a self-assessment method. What's this called, and how is it intended to help men who become family caregivers like Bob did? Jim? It's called, it's called, it starts the book out, actually. It's called the CARES Assessment. And, uh, and I think Bob has actually looked at that, so he can actually give us a, a pretty good uh, opinion on, on, on how it works. There's two parts to this assessment. One part is just asking and looking at the questions in the assessment. And what we ask men to do is to pick out one or two describers in the assessment that, that fits their, and it covers a variety of questions related to caregiving and approaches to caregiving and how you feel about certain things. And according to the research that we've done, once you fill out the assessment, we'll identify a couple of types of caregiving that uh, that you might look like in terms of the, uh, we have a couple of descriptors like the manager, whether you're a manager or whether you're the, the, the loner or the lone wolf and, and, uh, and that type of thing or the, or the, uh, the virtual, techno virtual caregiver for the younger generations. And so, uh, so that, that's sort of what the CARES assessment is. And we think it's a good way to start off because it helps you to identify some of your strengths and weaknesses. And we hope that the questions themselves, without even filling something out, are helping you to think about the way that you're approaching caregiving right now. Bob, how, how did you or would you assess yourself using Jim's method? And what do you think about what the assessment either told you or would tell you? Well, it, it certainly gives you something to think about. Uh, I found myself a, a very difficult question to answer, uh, to assess uh, one's uh, uh, assessment. Is, I find, you know, it's, it's extremely difficult, but... As I say, usually when a person assesses themselves, they uh, always give themselves a considerably lower mark than somebody else would. But anyway, uh, 
my personal assessment of myself would uh, detect no uh, virtual caregiver and the lone wolf. Uh, the assessment tells me uh, doing a you know uh, not a not a bad job, and uh, of course there's room for improvement. It tells me to gain more knowledge because knowledge is power. It also makes me uh, a better caregiver. It tells me I'm far from perfect. It tells me I can be selfish and still be competent caregiver. And it tells me to take care of myself because if I don't, who will be the caregiver? Exactly. Brilliant. Uh, Jim, is is Bob being a bit too hard on himself? Do you think? Uh, I think Bob's being very honest, and and I and I appreciate his own honesty. I think that uh, every one of us can. There's always room for improvement in what we do, and uh, and I think that he's he's being honest and reflecting on on where he's at in his caregiving journey, and and he's basically one of the. I would consider him to be a model male caregiver in so many respects. I mean, he really is doing an incredible job. I love the fact that he's taking advantage of respite. I love the fact that he's taking care of himself, understanding that if he doesn't uh, get that kind of care, he's going to not be as good for Joan as he could be. And all of those things are just fantastic. And so I think, uh, I think, I think I would characterize this as being very honest. So, and probably we're all harder on ourselves when we look at ourselves from an assessment. There's also another assessment in the guide, which is a tipping point assessment. And that's an assessment where we look at and say, you know, where am I at on this journey? And, and for many people that aren't doing the kinds of positive things Bob is doing, they end up, they end up in, a much, in a much more difficult space. Than, than Bob is in. And so I'm happy that Bob is saying these things because I think it tells men the things they need to look for, the, the things they need to look out for, and the things that they could do that are very positive in terms of helping the person they're caring for. So, Okay. Now I'm going to ask Bob um, a difficult question, and that's this. Uh, it's a fact. You and I, Bob, both know this. And a tragic fact that Alzheimer's disease is incurable. Doctors can't cure it. Nobody can. Now, at what point in caring for your wife did you yourself come to understand this? And how did it, this fact of incurability affect the way you saw family caregiving for your wife? Bob? Okay, well, uh, Joan's always been uh, a very independent. Uh, she's always very sure of herself. But uh, when she began to uh, lose everyday normal skills, like, say, pouring a cup of coffee, uh, to take care of her own uh, personal hygiene, I knew some drastic changes and challenges were in the works. Uh, I went to work every day and worked with uh, many different people, which provided me with a lot of uh, daily stimulation. I am home every day, and, and I can't leave Joan alone because she forgets that I told her I, I'm going to be right back. Uh, I was not used to having someone, you know, glued to my leg every day, and and it uh, it, it, it was very difficult for me to uh, uh, to change. Over time, uh, as I say, I was able to make the transition, and if, uh, as I say, if I wanted us to stay together, which I did. I, I knew I had to become the full-time caregiver, and caregiver, and today I think I'm not bad. 
Now, very good. And I'm going to ask Jim now to comment. What about this situation where uh, uh, the man is caring for a loved one, a wife, with an incurable disease? Does that influence the situation or not? What's your view on that? Oh, I think it's a tremendous influence on the situation. And the, the, the difficulty is that, you know, some of these long-term chronic care situations can go on for so long in such a long period of time. And unless people are taking the preventative measures of taking time for themselves, knowing that they need to do that, these, uh, and, and you know that there is an end in sight. And so, you know, that the, there is not a cure for this and the, and the disease is only going to get worse. It makes much more difficult for the for the man to, to deal with this because he can't get an immediate result. He doesn't see immediate change in the situation, doesn't get any better as, as the disease goes on. So um, that's the, the idea of something being terminal certainly has an effect. The, the, the basic the basic difference is when, whether you're in a chronic care situation or whether you're in an acute care situation. My two friends who had wives that had ovarian cancer, the, the situation was two and a half years. And, they, and, and it was fairly quick compared to somebody. I know a person that's caring for somebody with Alzheimer's who's now in their 13th year of doing this. And, uh, and they're doing it at home. And, and they're just, you know, they're just about to make the decision that they can't, they literally can't do it anymore. And they've been really good, like Bob, at doing a number of the things. But at some point, you, you, you reach that tipping point. And, uh, and in spite of the fact that you know that it's a terminal diagnosis, it really doesn't, and it's not, and it's not going to get any better, that, uh, that does change the situation quite dramatically. There's also a, lo- a lot of people in acute caregiving situations that they're caring for somebody and there's a two-month or a three-month or a year-long window and the person recovers and the caring situation ends. And so uh, that's a lot different than having a diagnosis of, uh, of, an, incurable, of an incurable disease, absolutely. Right. Bob, back to you. What about this question of um, looking for a change? That is to say, are there things that you have been talking about in your family that might, for example, make you think about uh, moving uh, Joan into some kind of permanent care facility? Would that disturb the way your home operates? Would that change your lives? Well, uh, uh, to be quite honest with you, we, uh, we haven't given any thought. Well, I shouldn't say we haven't thought about it. We have, but uh, it's, uh, it's not in the picture. Right. Uh, right. Okay. What Bob's saying is, just quite quickly, um, and back to Jim, is that there comes, I think, a point sometimes when the question of what do we do because it isn't going to get better and it seems to get worse and we don't know how long it's going to go on for, that becomes a matter for family decision-making and sometimes it doesn't because I've, I've heard people talk about how they, their loved one will stay at home until the end of their lives. So these are the sorts of issues that uh, families and family caregivers and the kind of groups of people that Bob has got around him will come across and need to discuss. Now, um, it's that time again, I'm afraid. We do have to take the short break, so let's go to it now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are Dr. Jim Gamboni and Bob Smith. 
You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's Doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Jim Gamboni and Bob Smith. Our topic is men as family caregivers. Now, I want to talk now about the things that affect men family caregivers and, in fact, all family caregivers. So, Jim, first of all, um, you write in your book about caregiver myths and realities. Now, what are these? What are the most important ones? And how do you advise men to respond to them? I know that's a very big question, but just briefly, what about those myths? Well, let me, let me hit on some of what I think are some of the major myths and some of the major realities. One myth is that men can do this alone, and, and that's a myth that I think even some women believe, that they can do this by themselves. And I think Bob's testimony is a strong one in this, in this particular regard. He has a, he's built up a tremendous social support network, both within his family and outside of his family, and that's going to enable him to become a much more healthy and vibrant and, and meaningful caregiver for, for Joan for a number of years, and, and that's, that's very, very significant and very important. Uh, another myth is that it's the myth of obligation, and, and that myth is, is a difficult one for a lot of people to talk about and to listen to and even to, to discuss uh, in, a, in a meaningful way, but it's like it's, it's, it's hard to maintain 
the obligation of caregiving over a long period of time, over a chronic over a chronic period of time, if there isn't something else besides the obligation that's there, and and a knowledge that at some point, and it may not be for every single person, it may be that Bob has a situation where Joan will live out the rest of her life in her home. I can tell you that there are many people that are not going to be able to have that situation, and for them, it's. Uh, Promises made, I will always stay, I'll always keep you in my house. Those things can change, and if you're stuck to the obligation, then what that ends up resulting in is sometimes a very unhealthy caregiver who, um, you know, who doesn't, uh, who isn't following uh, his own, his or her own regard for their own health and wellness. And the third myth, I think, that's an important one, is that sometimes it's okay to be selfish. Now, Bob, I would never say was selfish in this description, but it's not bad to be selfish uh, in, in this regard because you need to take care of yourself. You need that time to do what you need to do because if you're constantly being the caregiver, you're not paying attention to your own needs, wants, and desires, and that makes it very difficult for the man. And the man will bury that. <laughs> I mean, he'll just bury it until suddenly it explodes one day. And, uh, and, and so I think being selfish is okay. The myth is, you know, we should be not selfish in our, uh, when we're dealing with caregiving, and I don't think that's true. So those are three major myths and the realities that correspond to those myths. I'd be interested to know what Bob thinks about that, too. So. Okay. Bob, I'm just going to ask you first before you respond uh, to Jim about that. I just want to ask you a rather, in effect, personal question, and that's this. You see, medical research shows that people with Alzheimer's disease are able to experience love and affection and, to some extent, recall happy things in their lives. Bob, do you agree with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, exaggerate on that. Uh, like with at one time, Joan did occasionally uh, recall happy times and... Uh, and we used to laugh and talk and, uh, you know, have some good uh, some good times, enjoyed some good times talking about what we used to do with the kids and all that sort of stuff. But unfortunately, as, uh, as time progressed, her memory uh, deteriorated and uh, she, you know, just couldn't remember anything anymore. So uh, we still are uh, quite affectionate, uh, although we now... Uh, at her request, sleep in different uh, bedrooms, but occasionally, like last night, uh, she was uh, a little uh, upset and uh, said, would you mind coming and, you know, and leave with me? And I, okay, no problem. Uh, sex is, of course, uh, out of the question, but Joan still enjoys uh, cuddling and, and hugging and kissing. And another example of affection is... Uh, uh, when she leaves or I leave and, uh, you know, she likes a hug and a kiss and when we greet, uh, she, you know, she likes it and I uh, I feel being patient and loving makes Joan uh, a very happy person and the purpose of this uh, program is to, to make her happy and to me, uh, she does seem very happy. Perfect. I shouldn't make comments like that, but it's heart—it's heartwarming to hear what you just said, Bob. It really is. Now, Jim, you talk about in the book confusing grief and dis- depression. What's right. the message here that you would like to share with all family caregivers? 
Uh, I think that, that it's okay to grieve, and uh, and I think that the grieving is a natural process that, that happens with all of us, whether you're male or female. I think men grieve a little bit differently sometimes than women, but basically grieving is a, is a natural process. What I worry about is men not recognizing the, the, the signs that depression are coming on, and sometimes they can be very subtle. And, and so I'm, I'm wanting men to understand that the more you're able to honestly grieve loss, and there's loss in, in all of this, and it just, it's part of, it's part of, uh, it's part of what, what happens as a result of dealing with these diseases like Alzheimer's or cancer of some kind, and, and, uh, and, and, if you grieve well and you're able to grieve properly, I think you have less chance of, of going through and suffering severe depression. So being honest with your grief and understanding that is an important part of going through the caregiving process. Right. Bob, what's your message for all family caregivers who some days get tired and some days feel down as they face the challenges you've faced and continue to face? What do you say to them? Well, this is very inexpensive advice, but uh, I'll tell you, uh, be careful not to end up as a potential candidate for burnout. <laughs> can become very easy. Uh, being a family caregiver, as we all know, is very frustrating, difficult, and challenging at the best of times. It's so easy to get caught up in what's uh, going on that we uh, we forget about ourselves. Don't try to do it alone. Set up a network amongst family, friends, church groups. There's help out there. Attend support groups. Check what programs are available in your area. Uh, and uh, I'd just like to add this little comment. I would like to recommend a book I just read written by Dr. James Gamon and, and Rona MS called Who Says Men Don't Care? And I'm... Uh, Impressed. Very impressed. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, that, I, I, I honor that and value that very highly coming from you. So. Yeah. So I think what that comes to, and I'm just going to make some comments in closing here, um, unfortunately. Um, Jim, I put you in the role of the researcher, and I put Bob in the role of the person who's been there and done that in terms of experience. And what you've both been saying to each other and to our audience, um, one presents a theory, the other reconciles with that theory and valid validates it. And the very fact that, and I'm going to refer to this, Bob found your book so useful. Jim suggests that your research has been highly successful and presented and created a, a very useful book. And to Bob, I would say on behalf of all of us, um, we really do wish you everything best. We see you as a firefighter who is no longer fighting fires, but is now fighting and dealing with something equally challenging and doing so with honor and very well. So my comment to you is, both of you, please keep up your good work because it really is excellent well, work. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity uh, to become involved and uh, special thanks to Dr. Jim uh, for this book because I find it uh, invaluable. There you go. 
Now, we're going to have to go now, but I want to say thank you to our listeners, and please email us with comments and questions, which I'll pass on. Thanks very much to Jim and to Bob for talking with us in this open, insightful, and experienced way, and all success, every success to both of you in everything you're doing. Thank you very much, Gordon. Guys, keep up the great work, okay? Yes, keep up the good work, Gordon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. In our next episode, we'll talk about family doctors protecting vulnerable adults. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 